Everything's falling into place. I'm right where I should be. We grow out of this world in exactly the same way that the apples grow on the apple tree. The tides of life will let me hear. What's the meaning of the universe? What's the meaning of a flea? It's just there. That's it. And your own meaning is that you're there. And that's why I'm not scared. The destiny of the species is unfolding with the logic of a dream. I know the answer will appear. Please. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Uncomplication Podcast, the podcast that reminds you it's all okay, even when it's totally f- I'm your host, Ryan Stover, and I am pleased to announce the launch of season two of the Uncomplication Podcast. So for those of you keeping track, season one then lasted about five or six years, uh, sporadically posting interviews with interesting people, as well as a lot of off-the-cuff recordings. Uh, rabbit holes, as I call them, where inspiration strikes, I throw on the audio recorder and just capture these um, moments of clarity. So I hope you enjoy season two. I will be putting in more effort to track down interesting guests uh, and do a little bit more polish on these episodes. But please know that a lot of these are recorded off the cuff on uh, phone recorders out in the wild because you never know when a great conversation is going to happen. So uh, yeah, I hope that you can get through the less than studio quality recordings because the content I believe is worth it. And today's conversation was no exception. It was recorded out on a hike with a good friend, Tomas Herrera. We hiked up on top of this big rock precipice that dropped away on three sides into the Poudre Canyon and we sat and talked about a whole range of topics, really beginning with uh, economics and how no matter what class you're in, uh, there is a game designed to keep you trapped there. And that then led into talk about uh, capitalism and communism and uh, workers and exploitation and the stock market. And that then led into a conversation about mathematics and beauty and the nature of the universe. Um, I think we landed in a really cool spot after traversing all this ground and were able to bring some uncomplications to some of the scariest and most frustrating aspects of modern life. So, so if you are new to the Uncomplication podcast or a listener of the last five years, uh, either way, please find us on the Apple Music Store. Uh, leave a five-star review if you like it. Help other people find us. Um, yeah, and tell your friends about Uncomplication. So... Without further intro, let's get to Tomas on the mountain. He's like watching the amount of people who are struggling and seeing the numbers of unemployment. He's like, fucks with me because I used to be that guy. Like, he's like, I remember being paycheck to paycheck. I remember like, you know, going to the ATM and intentionally like overdrafting my account with a cash withdrawal just so that I had money to put into my gas tank. Like, I remember being broke as fuck, and this year I'm going to make $400,000, and I still feel scared. He's like, I, can't, I don't own a house. I don't really have any retirement. He's like, everything that I'm saving, 
is so that I can maybe be able to put 20% down on a half a million dollar home that's a starter home. Yeah. And you still renting? Mm hmm. Wow. And talk about rent, I don't know where it is now, but three or four years ago when I visited, the house he was renting, decent sized house, like two car garage, um, three bedroom, or maybe four. Um, nice big kitchen and living room. He's got three kids, so it's it's enough house for him in Santa Clarita. Nine thousand a month. What? Yeah. And I'm just like, what the fuck? That's that's all those people out there. That's yeah. like the way the game works. You do get paid what seems like a lot of money, but it all just drains like mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. I remember when we were hiring kind of our next round of leveled up people Mm -hmm. the cto guy that we hired demanded a salary of like three hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year which was just mind-blowing like completely bonkers and getting to know him and talking to him same story like he Mm -hmm. was at risk on his house payments and his car payments and they're all these like amazing cars and this huge amazing house right but that to me was an indicator that either people just naturally like scale up in their expectations and their level of comfort always to kind of match that threshold where they can't go farther and if it was to bump up a little bit they'd go that extra distance so yeah i think you're thinking about if there is a sweet spot like maybe once you get into that bracket where the taxes are so much bigger and then the the payments on the houses and the things that you buy are so much bigger and then there's that lower class that I've been thinking an awful lot about. We'll talk about that too. I feel like, for whatever reason, Kayla and I have been in this weird little sweet spot that's a lot of luck and a lot of just good timing and you know buying a house when there was a recession and getting in before they really cracked down and being so debt avoidant. Like I've, We've never had a car payment. We've always made sure that our kind of monthly expenses are things that we can cover. Mm-hmm. And so... I still, when I knew I was going to get fired, and then when I got fired, had this like panic of like being back out there in the world in the job market, but it wasn't quite that that big of a fall that I know other people are either on the precipice of or in the middle of free fall right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, there's something like virtuous about that, right? Like. What you're what you're doing is what Jake Jab says to do, which is live <laughs> with beneath <a> tiger. <laughs> your <laughs> live beneath your means, and um, there's I think you know like a lot of wisdom in that to be like if you can't afford something, you know, then you can't afford it, and it's maybe you shouldn't buy it at the moment, and that's something my buddy's doing. Like he's. You know, they've been house hunting everything because they're like, you know, what are we doing? Spending almost a hundred grand a year in rent and insurance and all these other things for a house we don't own. We should be buying something so that we're reinvesting in our own place. You know, and he's 42 years old and he's like, I still don't own a house. I don't have anything but liquid capital in my bank account. But he's like, you know, we went to look at some new houses that are being built, you know, even further away from, like, anything. It's just box homes um, starting at 600000 which is a real bargain for the area. Yeah. 
And he's like, but it's, it's a shit neighborhood. There's no vegetation, nothing anywhere. It's just these beige-ass boxes selling for $600,000 a piece. And people are, like, reserving spots, <laughs> you know? Like, they're, they're just signing yeah. them up. And they're putting $30,000 down on this bullshit thing. Yeah. And he's like, and I look at those people and I'm thinking, like, I can't afford to buy one of these houses right now. And I make a lot of money. He's like looking at these people. And he's like, not to be rude or anything, but I can tell like kind of where you're at financially just by looking at you. Yeah. And you are really stretching. And sure, maybe you can swing it because you can qualify for it. And maybe you're able to cobble together a little bit for the down payment. Or maybe you're getting in with zero money down. But once you're into that thing, like, like these people qualify because let's say they do have a pretty good job. Hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars a year, and yes, they can technically pay the mortgage on a six hundred thousand dollar house at one and a half percent interest. But there is no chance you will ever be able to make that money cheaper. Mm. I get, forget about refinancing in the future and lowering your payment. You are locked in now to three thousand dollars a month for the next thirty years, and you better make sure that you're at least able to cover that. The point is that I talking with these friends of mine who are like making over 200 grand a year and they all feel squeezed. They all feel like it's not enough. I'm still not comfortable. And I think part of it is that maybe, yeah, they're living a little bit beyond their means. But another part of it is they're kind of forced to because mm -hmm. in order to make that much money, you have to live in Boulder. You yeah. have to live in L.A. You have to live in the Silicon Valley. And in order to live there, you have to pay $9,000 a month in living and cost of living. And you have to have good health care. And you have to, like... And you've got kids that you want to have... Provide for, yeah. Opportunities. Like, it just... It feels fucking broken. Oh, it is. And it is by design. I, I know I've told you this theory of mine, but I feel like there have always been kings and peasants... And in the old days, the control system was to tell the peasants, like, you are less than nothing, and I was appointed by God, right. and you should worship me, and I can just roll over you, and that's the way it is. And that worked for a while, up until a point where, you know, there were revolutions, and the peasants rose up and formed their own governments and whatever, but those that ruling class still rules. And now what they've done is even more ingenious. They've told the lower class, the peasants, like, you can be kings. Anyone can climb that ladder. We're all created equal and set about this game where everyone is thinking that they can be that, that upper echelon, and they're all just filtering through this Plinko system that was set up by those people to keep them completely trapped. Yeah. And it's hammered into us through advertisements. And I think about in California, if you were a young male and you were trying to attract a mate, like the competition that you would have from these other assholes that were, you know, throwing down credit cards or whatever and buying the big car and like representing wealth. And that's, that is what, for whatever reason, like attracts a lot of desirable mates. Mm -hmm. And so right from the get go, I can't even imagine like as people grow into this system, the, the foreknowledge or the, the grounding in something bigger than just the human game that would make a young person say no to that and break from that trajectory because mm -hmm. it starts super early. Yeah. And once you're in it, like you can't escape it. 
Yeah, and it's true. Like, there is this indoctrination into this system that, I mean, I feel it too, you know? Like, and I'm sure you remember this, right? Like, it starts so young. Like, when you're a child, to be told, like, you're special mm-hmm. and you're destined to do great things. Now, here's a map, <laughs> and we would like you to follow it. And there's that meritocracy or whatever of like you're good enough and you're not begins so young and kind of starts placing people in these like tracks in life you know like not for i don't think that there's in theory anything wrong with how the system is envisioned it's just that it has become corrupted because the system relies on like everyone kind of having this exact same behavioral model of doing things (laughs) for it not to get fucking pear-shaped. Yeah, I think to your point about the kings, like that we traded the kingdom of England for the kingdom of Facebook, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Mm -hmm. Walmart, McDonald's, Oracle, like all of America is now the land of a thousand kingdoms. Mm -hmm. And all the serfs are the like coders and retail workers and accountants and whatnot. And then you have this also the strange, um, like the church is wall street. It's no longer mm. the church of England. It's now like yeah. wall street and the, and then the fucking healthcare system, which oh man, healthcare and, and the criminal justice system are both like, yeah, forms of torture and <laughs> dungeons. <laughs> So, in the last couple of weeks, I've had this feeling like Calvin in a really funny comic strip where he was starting to see his dad's side of the argument, and so he, the whole comic strip was in cubism, <laughs> and he's, like, trying to, like, run through the house, but, like, everything's flattened, and you can see all sides of a chair, and he's, like, tripping over everything, and yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, too much perspective. Yeah. And I feel like through this whole crazy election cycle, and then the riot at the Capitol... And with some of the friends that I kind of swap information with, and one friend in particular who seems like a closet Trumper, mm. but he's really not, but he's he's more understanding of the perspective of those people. And so like sending me these articles mm-hmm. that make so much sense, really breaking down the psyche of why the working class has been so left out of the game as the U.S. economy has really shifted from factory work and mining and all that kind of stuff into this new paradigm. And I still think Donald Trump is a huge con man, but those people have very real grievances, and it's exactly the kind of stuff that we're talking about. And then I watched this documentary. I I don't know if you've seen it. Um, I think I might have also texted it to you, but it's called American Factory. I haven't seen it. It's definitely worth watching. It was crazy. I just watched this a couple nights ago, but it's... A factory in Dayton, Ohio, that was a GM plant since the 60s, and it had a whole community and families and generations of people that worked there, and they had good jobs. They made, you know, 23 bucks an hour, which was just awesome. They could buy their kids whatever they wanted, and it was just great. Mm-hmm. And then in the recession of 2008, in that period, they closed the, pan- the plant in 2010, and this whole community, like 10,000 people plus, and their, you know, families, had nothing. They had, you know, they lost their houses, they lost their cars, people were, like, living in their sister's basements it was just like such a devastating thing for this plant to close four years later a chinese automotive glass making company 
decides that they want to open a factory in America. They want to show that Chinese can like invest in America. And so this glass manufacturer opens up a plant in that same GM building. And like all of these people are so excited to have uh, work again. Mm -hmm. And it's like Chinese people like trying to communicate through translators to this community. Like we want this to be an American company. Like, um, you know, it's going to be American management. Like you'll all have a great wage. Like, hooray. So everyone's totally stoked. They get in there. And I don't know if it's just cultural differences, but things go off the rails really quickly because the Americans are being trained by this group of Chinese workers that came over to train them how to use all this equipment because they've never done this before. There's right. huge furnaces and presses, and and the Americans, they're used to working in an automotive plant where they kind of knew the little thing that they had to do, and now there's this like really fast-paced Chinese, mm -hmm. you know, efficient system that they're trying to be taught. And they just, like, they, they, they can't handle it. Like, they can't handle being told what to do. Everyone's going so slow. And they're losing, like, $20 million a quarter. So the chairman of the company has to keep flying out there and figuring out, like, what the hell is wrong with this American factory? Mm -hmm. Like, why can't you guys produce? And all of the management guys, it's really funny. They remind me of people that I've worked with at, like, Hayward Baker. Like, mm -hmm. just sort of... Um, uh, white collar but midwestern you know all these big kind of round guys corn that are fed. corn fed you know they go drive their tractors on the weekends and this is the management team and so they fly the guys out to china to see what the same plant in china looks like mm -hmm. and it's just they are in such culture shock because the people who work at that factory if you get a job there you are so fortunate they are so happy to have that job because there's billions of people in china and yeah. if you don't do it some other guy is going to get pulled out of that whatever rural yeah. village and get it so they get like one, maybe two days off a month. They work 12-hour uh, shifts, and it's all about like being the best that you can be. Yeah. So they're in there, they're moving so fast, and they're you know these like slight, fit Chinese guys, just like and women, like mm -hmm. just making this glass. And before uh, every um, like shift, they're lining up, they're like you know singing these company-centric like raw raw songs and like counting off their numbers and all this stuff and the americans are just like fuck Whoa. this <laughs> yeah. so they go back and they're like all right we have a few ideas we're going to try and imp implement so then they have this scene with all of these you know <laughs> just a a, a a very diverse group of people men women younger older and some of these just like you know surly rust belt dudes like with this manager like all right we're gonna try something different everyone line up and everyone get on your number and they're just like what? What are we? I'm not doing this. Yeah. And, and so you just see the stark difference between this communist efficiency is just on, a, on another level. Yeah. And so through this video, like the workers, they're like so pissed off. They're being mistreated. Everything is like an affront to them. They want more money. And you see how low their level of work actually is compared to like the. Mm -hmm. the but in America, like they were making good points like the union organizers were saying these are battles that we fought 60 years ago about working overtime and safe conditions and now here we are again like fighting against the chinese and so the end of the story i mean maybe i shouldn't spoil it for you it is worth watching the chinese are like fine they replaced everybody with automation yeah they're walking around the lines like we're gonna place four people there with a robotic arm we're gonna replace four people there with like this press we're gonna and they just completely automated it mm -hmm. and so the the takeaway at the end of this video is like by 2030 which is like nine years away mm -hmm. i think it was like 350 million jobs worldwide are going to be replaced yeah. by automation yeah and they just so they show these scenes of like the 
uh, people in Ohio like leaving the factory. You just see all these faces, all of these people, and even in China, all these people leaving the factory in these huge like lines. You know, one's going in, one's coming out, and you just think about how if the problem is bad today in this working class, I don't know. They don't even have the mindset or the ability because of the American paradigm to be high-performing workers. Mm-hmm. Like Even though they are desperate for work, they, they desperately need the job, there is just nothing that you can say or do to that psyche to make them work like a machine, right. which is what the factory actually wants. That's what it wants to pay for. They don't want to lose $20 million a quarter. Like actually in the hole or like not getting the $20 million they think they should? No, they were, they were spending money opening okay. up this factory and it was not producing. Right. And their whole goal was just to get it profitable and they were like $20 million behind the eight ball. Yeah. And this guy keeps coming out like, what the hell is wrong with these people? Right. But anyway, I know that – I'm just excited because I watched it recently, but it dovetails with this whole conversation of that swath of people – and that's just one swath. I mean, the, the the poor people is a whole other conversation. And what's ridiculous is that this upper middle class that we're talking about is its own condition. And no matter where you are, you're trapped and kind of screwed. Yeah, dude. And I think that, you know, it's also coming, I think, very soon, maybe even by 2030, where these really prized jobs like coding are going to be replaced by machines. I think that they will reach a point where hmm. AI yeah, will be Yeah, tell the AI what you want it to do. And yeah, it will, and it'll do it. And yeah. it'll do it in like record time, like way faster than a human being could do it. No one could type that fast. Well, I think that is the realization. If I were sitting at the top of this whole pile of human ferment and I was that trillion dollar Bezos or whatever, billion dollar, I would be looking at all of these humans that have no point in existing whatsoever. Yeah. It's like having a farm of cattle, but you're only using, you know, 5% of them. Yeah. And I would be thinking about, well, what's the next way to pare this thing down so that we at the top can continue to have all of it. All of it. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense. And, and, like, planetarily, I think that is one of the best things that could happen for planet Earth is to just reduce the human population that is sure. using so much energy, so many resources which is a horrible thing to say, and I completely include myself in that swath of expendable... Well, and there's also, though, a problem with it. Like, if if this is the, the dark side of capitalism <laughs> here, like, kind of coming in a wave to take out humanity, then humanity goes away, and this then evaporates. Like, mm. what are you making all this glass for? Like, who's going <laughs> to get it? Yeah. Like, at a certain point, like, you've got to find that balance. That balance. Otherwise, you you have a bunch of shit you produced and no one to give it to or sell it to. Like, you've evaporated your, like, you've exploited the human spirit so much mm-hmm. and taken away all, everything from them that what you're producing to be then, like, reinvested in that stock of humanity has you've depleted completely so it's it's like a virus almost in and it's interesting hearing you talk about like the the way that communist china operates because capitalist korea operates very similarly hmm. and so both systems are kind of yeah. like merging into one like monolith of of the exploitation. I was going to say that word, yeah. 
it's really strange. It's a mind fuck to think about because money is like so misunderstood, I think, by most people's minds. Like the majority of people's minds, I don't think money makes sense. Even people who are in the business of money don't understand it. Case in point, these hedge funds are going out of business because GameStop got short squeezed. Did you hear about this? No. Holy shit. This is like beautiful. GameStop? This is beautiful, like, I don't know what to call it, but maybe like financial terrorism. I don't know if this is like a humble brag or whatever, but I remember saying to Wild a couple years ago, like, I think that protests need to become like, not so much marching in the street and that sort of thing, but like organized um, fucking with the system. But the um, GameStop short squeeze is so fucking hilarious. And this isn't the first time that this group has done it, but there's this Reddit subreddit called um, Wall Street Bets or something, or Reddit Bets. Huh. And what they do, their investment strategy is to identify underperform what they think are like underperforming low price stocks that are being short shorted by the market and then to invest heavily in those stocks to bring the value up. So are you familiar with short selling at all? It's the weirdest fucking <laughs> thing. I can't even believe it's legal. But basically, let's say you and I are clients of a brokerage house owned by Luna. And Luna is like a broker in this brokerage house. We're both clients. And you own stock in... Jacket Co. Jacket Co. You own 100 stocks of Jacket Co. at $10 a piece. So you have $1,000 worth of stock. And I go to Luna and I was like, can I borrow Ryan's stock for $3 a year? Huh. And all of that that money will go to both you and Ryan. So you take a dollar and he gets two. And Luna's like, sure, you can borrow it. What are you going to do with it? And I'm like, I'm going to sell it. <laughs> and he's like, what? But what if Ryan wants to sell the stock? He's like, I'll pay him back. I'll, I'll give it back to him. At whatever the price is in the future, I'll pay him back. I'll get the stocks back. But I'm going to sell it today. But I'm borrowing them for $3. That's okay. So I borrow your stock, which is worth 1000 bucks, for 3 bucks. I then go to the market. I'm like, anybody want to buy this? This rock's like, sure, I'll take your stock. I'm like, here you go. <laughs> I get $1,000. I put that money into whatever the fuck I want. I'm buying cars. I'm getting cocaine. Maybe <laughs> I'm buying other stocks, whatever. Then the stock drops down to like 2 bucks. And I'm like, awesome. I take that $1,000 and I buy 100 shares for $2 a share or whatever. It's 200 bucks. I keep $800 and I give you back the, ten, the 100 shares or whatever that I borrowed. That's... And I made $800 by borrowing your yeah. stock, selling it, waiting for the price to drop, buying it back, it back to you. and then yeah. giving it back to you at $2 a share. Now... As far as you're concerned, you made two bucks off the deal a year later. You still have 100 shares. Big deal. Maybe you're holding it for a long time because you really believe in Jacket Co. Me, I'm a piece of shit who's just trying to make a buck. I have. There is absolutely no market efficiency there whatsoever. Like, what in the fuck was that? Yeah. All it was was me borrowing your property, selling it, using that money to go play with whatever the fuck wait until the price drops, Who buying it back. Who makes that decision that the borrowing is okay? The broker? So the brokers the brokerage doing house, hedge funds decided this is a good idea. Now, if the opposite happens, let's say I borrow those things, and the price balloons up to $100 a yeah, share, now and you're like, fuck yeah, I want to sell those. 
and I have to come up with the $10,000 because technically that's your property and I need to give it back to you. So what this Reddit group did was they came in and they bought a shitload of game stock or GameStop stock <laughs> and the price notched up 10 bucks. So all these short sellers were like, oh shit, I need to cover that. So I better buy some stock back now at $10 in case it continues to go up. Then it went up to $100. I'm like, fuck, I better buy some more. Go. Then it went up to $300. That's ridiculous. So basically, these people who bought the shorted, the borrowed the stock at $6 are now, however many shares they bought, let's say they bought 1000 They they used to owe 6000 now the stock's up to almost four hundred dollars. Oh my god! So they need to come up with four hundred thousand dollars on the six thousand that they borrowed. Oh my god! Now that kind of like negative yeah. return on investment is astronomical, right? Like that's it's putting hedge funds out of fucking business because these people had like tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars invested that have now turned into almost a billion dollars in borrowed yeah, stock that yeah. they need to pay back and it's wow. all and it's also this like weird snake eating its tail because as the game stock or the the reddit group started nudging the price up all these short sellers had to try and yeah. cover their losses which caused the stock to go up which made more people get on board and more people and then because of these um like retailers like Robin Hood and Oh yeah, that are making it that stuff. much easier to track and buy. Yeah, people like are like, Holy shit, this is blowing up. Hundred dollars. I'm gonna get, and it just like you have all of these like <laughs> amateur investors that are trying to make a quick buck while this thing blasts off into the fucking yeah. stratosphere. And it like they had to stop trading on it. Like the stock market halted trading. And it wasn't because just, the, because the hedge funds were freaking out. Yeah, like, you have to pull the plug. Yeah, you've got to stop trading on this stock. Like, we need this to cool down. Huh. It went from six dollars a couple months ago to almost four hundred today. Like in less than two months, it grew six thousand percent or something crazy. And I can't help but feel a little bit of like Schadenfreude for this. Yeah. For these fucks that have been participating in this corrupt practice of bar. Like where the fuck else in the world? Like. I was like, can I borrow your Subaru? <laughs> and then sell it. I'm going to sell it. And then I'm going to wait a year when the price goes down and buy another Subaru and give it back to you and be like, thank you very much. And uh, I'm not even going to buy your Subaru from you. I'm going to borrow it and then sell it. Where the fuck <laughs> else in the world can you do that, Grift? Except for Wall Street. Yeah, and that's what their whole job is, is finding these little loopholes and these little ways to leverage the logic mm -hmm. in their favor dude i watched a video on how if you could trick a bank to say like i want to borrow or i want to invest a hundred dollars in your bank for eight years at the square root of negative one interest but i want the amortization clock i want it to be set at 12 month intervals so at the end of one year i will have a hundred dollars in real money in your bank and I will have a hundred dollars of imaginary money in your bank and then at the end of year two I will have zero dollars in your bank and two hundred dollars of imaginary money in your bank and at the end of year three I will have negative a hundred dollars in your bank and um, 
negative 400 imaginary dollars in your bank. And at the year of end, at the end of year four, I will have, and basically it does this like bizarre flip where year five, I now have my hundred dollars again and I have negative 1600 imaginary and the end of year six, I can't remember exactly the, the math on this, but basically at the end of the term, I will have 1600 real dollars. Just book. But there will be this weird period of time where I will have owed the bank money, and they will have owed me imaginary money. <laughs> I have a hard time conceiving of a bank that would do that with you on the premise of a mathematical function like right. that. Yeah, I mean... But the, but the point is there are these completely legal methods for getting that kind of logic into a system that can fuck one side and benefit the other mm -hmm. if you're not paying attention. Yeah. And there's probably a way where, like, a really sophisticated smart banker could be like, oh, well, I'm going to create an imaginary derivatives fund where in the years where I owe money to people, it's going to be like a Ponzi scheme. Basically, in the years that I owe people imaginary money, I'm going to dip into huh. the people that owe me imaginary money and I'm going to fund those accounts with that. And I'm going to take out of this uh. account. I'm just going to create this like sphere of money that rotates through my bank. Well, the, the thing that strikes me, and um, one of my good friends has very close experience with this, because, to your earlier point, money is so non-tangible in this day and age. No one's coming to your house and like handing you a bag of gold coins and saying, here's your earnings. And like, oh, I need to take a few back, give you a few. Like, there's nothing tangible to to hang your hat on. Uh, my friend was involved in, or he was a client of, or whatever. This this uh, couple people that said that they had just like cracked the algorithm for investment. They were they were just like guaranteed that as long as you put in like this large sum of money up front, like you were going to get returns that you just couldn't get anywhere else because they had like found this like an algorithm or some kind of weird mystical like ooh okay right and because all of this is just being reported as you know text numbers through emails or whatever kind of portal you log in on it turns out that i don't know how many how many years later 3 or 5 or whatever it was all a huge scam mm. they were taking these people's like 100 grand and they were giving them a portal or an email or an earning statement and saying because of our algorithms you now have 600,000 holy shit you have like 2 million but one of the, the things was like you gave your money in and you couldn't get it out until year five. But right. all the way along, they're reporting mad these, these mad earnings. And so finally, when it got close to that end period and people were like, all right, like right, I'm ready to cash out like this amount. You know, I want to keep this amount in. It, it, it became obvious that these guys from day one were taking the money, flying all over the world, buying cars, buying all this shit. Like they knew that it wasn't going to last, but they were just like might doing this well. huge might as well. Shit. And that is what – even like those uh, short-selling and borrowed trades, like you go through a Robin Hood or you go through a coin bank even or whatever. Like you have this little thing in your hand that tells you your assets are now plus this, minus this. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like you're you who you are with the clothes on your back. Yeah. And like one little glitch of a system or a fraud and your, your printout doesn't say what it used to. You're in a whole different economic class. Yeah, dude. But here's the thing Black. that, that I, I have to come back to is yeah. that there is a mental reality which humans uniquely 
can hold and participate in, which is, you know, taken far enough becomes these monetary systems and what we've programmed into our computers to help us play in this imagination. Yeah. And there's like that side of our existence. And then on the other side, there is this physical reality in which we are living, breathing organisms that have to eat and, you know, have clean air to breathe and all this other stuff. And one of my favorite perspectives to think about humanity is from that airplane level view where you're looking down and it's just this like growth of little glow mold patches, you know, following the rivers, these like tendrils of roads reaching out. And so whatever is happening here in our heads with hedge fund trading or cryptocurrencies or whatever, like all of that is just the firing of neurons inside this little patch of glow mold. Well, guess what? It doesn't matter if you're Jeff Bezos. It doesn't matter if you are living on unemployment if you're in california and a wildfire comes through and burns all of the houses nobody has anywhere to go and so i feel like the the and what we just saw in this whole pandemic and the in the recession that followed is that the governments the rich people everyone is so much more concerned about those futures and that mm -hmm. you know value of their stock this completely made up currency that we're trading like bubblegum cards so much more concerned about that than any kind of human wellness the environment being okay and i think that there will come a day where everyone will realize holy shit we've all been part of the same tree and we lit it on fire yeah and it doesn't matter how much money you have you're fucked yeah and you know i, I think when i talk like this and when i said earlier with the factory workers like people are expendable it sounds really pessimistic but it, it really isn't when we got to that point earlier in conversation where we both wanted to say that the pinnacle of um, capitalism and communism kind of merging into this monolith is this exploitation, well, while we were saying that, I was looking at that tree right over there that has all of these different types of cells as part of it. And I was thinking, like, if you were one of those cells, you would, of like one of those, you know, leaves that were photosynthesizing, <laughs> like, you'd feel pretty fucking exploited. Yeah. Like, you are there just to, like, produce energy for this bigger thing that doesn't know about you, doesn't care about you. A windstorm can come and blow you off, and it, it does not care. Yeah. Right? So, like, that exploitation is, in a sense, what a larger organism has to do with this, you know, body of cells that all add up to this bigger thing. Mm -hmm. And I think the shape and form of the human organism on the planet will, because it has to, you know, lose a limb here, grow a little limb here. Like, it's going to change and shift as this environment changes, as the um, consequences of our productivity come back and yeah. change the, the landscape. And so all of this stuff that we're talking about, new ways to exploit people, new ways to game the system and pay off your mortgage faster or whatever, is like this really weird cellular level interchange of communication that in the larger scale is just like growing and shifting and changing this organism. And I personally take huge comfort in that because if you can realize that you're the enzyme of an elephant, like you don't have to worry too much about your own being or even your immediate families or any of that like you know that there's this larger thing of which you are a part it's amazing that it's there in the first place yeah i i think that there's something like i don't know i go back and forth but i i like this zen space because you use that um statement like if we were to get like 
to an airplane view or whatever. I've always thought of it like when we're in airplanes, that's like the great equalizer. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter if you're the trillionaire in first class or like <laughs> the the person that like got on stowed away in the luggage department. Yeah, stowed away in the <laughs> luggage department or you know, got on the plane because you you like won a prize and <laughs> like this, this is like the best thing that's ever happened to you. Like in that moment everyone on that vessel is their fates are sealed together Mm -hmm. and whatever happens next good or bad whether you land or whatever like in that moment now there's going to be some perceived degrees of like comfort like better leg room and unlimited drinks or more access to the bathroom and not (laughs) screaming babies in your face or whatever all of that might be you know slightly different but in the like Mm -hmm. It's it's one of the most equalizing states, I think, is like being on a plane with other human beings, um, suspended in the air. And to take that idea and then bring it to the ground and say, that's also the mm-hmm. case. And then to bring that idea and pull it inward to the self and get to that Zen spot of like, all I have is this to take care of and hopefully and i'm starting to like believe this more and more because of some strange math that i've been learning about (laughs) but um i recently learned about um this is gonna be a tangent really quick but i'll try and tie it back in i recently learned about the number e it's an exponent function equal to 2.718 something, whatever. Huh. And so it's this mathematical constant similar to like pi. And E is used a lot in um, financial interest rates and things like that because E remains this constant that expresses a magnitude or a type of growing that would happen like compounding interest or whatever. And I came to learn about E because there's this equation that has been dubbed like the most beautiful equation in the world, and it's called Euler's identity. Or maybe it's Euler's equation, and then Euler's identity, you add one to it. Or Euler, I think is how you pronounce yeah. the name. Um, but it's e to the power of i times pi. And that equals negative one. And the shape that it makes on a graph is really cool, because e's here, and then you do this thing, and it goes... Huh. And it creates a perfect half circle backwards onto itself and it becomes negative one huh um and it's this really crazy thing to think about because great reversal it yeah it's like it's a folding inward on itself now e doesn't do that by itself e does that like you end up at like if e is 2.718 blah 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 you take if you just took that raw number e and you powered it to i imaginary times pi basically what happens to e is it grows up and back onto itself and becomes negative one so e transforms into negative one if you add one to it it becomes zero right it completely returns to nothing and everything which is so (laughs) fucking crazy what's also super weird about it and i didn't know this because i'm not a super math nerd but it also is like it's an equation that uses, I don't want to say all, but it uses like 
addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. It uses all those things. It uses um, factoring. Huh. It uses all these different mechanisms are all embedded in it. It can be done very quickly, and you can sh you can do it actually by hand even. You don't even need, like, a calculator. Huh. You just need to know how to do it. Now, if you know how to do it, that's one thing. It's sort of like knowing a magic spell or how to bake something. But you may not know exactly why this spell you're doing does the thing it's doing. So this person's like, I'm going to tell you why it's <laughs> doing this. And they said, so first, I want you to consider E is a concept that is represented by this number. Let's think of E as an object. And that object does not change being its object from E to negative 1. It morphs or transforms into negative 1. And that's what all numbers in mathematics are, is operations that mm -hmm. transform something into something else that can be represented by saying it now possesses these qualities. And that, like, completely changed nice. my view of math. Because for a long time, I think, you know, I would think of the number line as, like, one is a thing, two is a thing, three is a thing, four is a thing. But it's all the thing mm. that is discreetly identified as either being in the state of one or the state of six or the state of four, or whatever, right? Huh. But it's all the thing. Mm -hmm. And early mathematicians could only conceive of the world in this one-dimensional line that went in one direction, zero through to wherever. But somebody, some great mind came along and said, no, yeah, negatives exist, because if I move along, if I transform along this line yeah, to I... ten... How do I get back to three unless negative exists? So there has to be a negative portion on the line in order to get me back to three from six or whatever. And people are like, wow. <laughs> but then other people are like, but what if I want to multiply from here to here? How do I get from here to here instantaneously through multiplication? I have to somehow leave that, that one-dimensional line and go into an imaginary space and then land there. Hmm. And how do I do that? I would have to go up or down. I would have, so they invent this new axis, yeah. a new dimension in the space of the mind to do it. And what multiplication does is that, yes, it creates this line, but that's even imaginary because... What's really happening when you multiply is like you're rotating this point here and this point here, and the, so the line rotates through space. So that you you go whoop, where like come start from here, pop up here, rotate, and now you're there. You've just like tunneled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's this weird tunneling, rotating thing, and it this is all like blowing my mind. I'm thinking about all these different things, and then I remember this article I read by these um, mathematicians saying that um, they think they've figured out a way to solve the a problem in astronomy which shows this discrepancy when you look at the cosmic microwave background and you try to guess the age of the universe, or the size and the age and how it's, it's grown. But basically the concept is that if you use the microwave background or the old universe model and you try to 
arrive at the size of the universe and how big it is and how fast it's growing, you get a certain outcome. But if you use a new universe model, that is to say, like, current phenomenon that's happening in our local mm. space, you get this other number. So there's this big, like, difference, this gap. And it's a real problem. And people are like, what is this? Is this dark energy? What's going on? Where's all this matter coming from? And how? what's pushing things away and all this shit? Well, these guys came along and they're like, using these models, if you think of space-time as being in three dimensions, if you use dimension three to derive these figures, you will see these discrepancies. But if you consider the universe as existing in E dimensions, 2.718, blah, 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 that divide shrinks to a statistically insignificant amount. Huh. And suddenly the two models match up. I know. And the thing that's crazy is I didn't know the number E back in November when I read this. All I remembered of it was that it was like two point something, like close to three, but it wasn't quite three. I remember it being like 2.75 or whatever, like two and three quarters of the <laughs> dimensions. That's all you need. And I was like, oh, super strange. And this isn't like a completely new concept. A lot of people have been talking about doing fractal dimensions and um, fractal spaces, but... These guys suggested, they're like, what if it's E? We, we conceive of the world as being in three dimensions, but it's actually in fractions of a dimension. It's almost like no dimension can be a solid. It can't be a complete whole thing. And so, so you could have this volume that appears to be a three-dimensional cube, but it's actually a two-plus some change dimensional space without with no end huh and this is like obviously super amateur understanding of what i've been learning about it but this is all to bring back to that zen place to to bring it back and be like if that is the nature of reality and everything is a fractal self-similar that's the other thing that's crazy about e is that basically it's a self-similar it expresses a self-similarity that seems to suggest that if everything is kind of could be represented like this cool branches and everything like this is a fractal representing like you could probably figure out calculate like some repre mathematical representation of to express the shape that this bush makes hmm. or this rock makes and then see how that like they work together to make the shape of a mountain with the little branches and trees that pop out of it and everything that like and that's what happens with CGI and computer modeling all the time, right? Is they use fractal geometry and they're like, represent something that's mountain-like. <laughs> and then it's like, boop, it looks like a mountain. And it looks super random and chaotic, but there's probably like... That could be represented mathematically by some equation mm -hmm. to describe it. And if that self-similarity exists here... Like, where does it stop? It probably begins here. Like, there's probably something inside all of us that is, like, 
fractally radiating outward and repeating itself in the universe. It always blew me away. Like, how does that bush, which is made up of all of these little individual cells that are doing their own little thing, and how does it have an awareness of what the other branches are doing such that it creates this dendritic shape in, in three-dimensional space that is like perfectly in like balance with itself almost like it's growing in some sort of a field that it's it's sensitive to and it is expressing that form well that same form you see in the veins of your hands you see it in drainage basins just like that one there where you have all of these little trickles of water that all come together and merge into this one stream that then merges into a larger stream and even if you look at microchips and um, uh, silicon, like on a, a, a wafer, uh-huh. like there is the ability to craft that in a way that is perfectly optimized. Yeah. And so what I was thinking about when you were talking about the these planes and like this different kind of conceptual modeling of the universe, like crystal palaces that we can create out of this logical machinery... And then where that kind of like intersects with reality, quote unquote, or at least our, our perception experience of it, that then runs into these observed phenomenon that nothing that we've ever observed um, can break with thermodynamic principles. Right. And so there is a fundamental conservation of whatever it is, however we want to conceive of it, that there is a complete conservation that you can change things you can transform things you can like do all of these operations to them but you're always left with what you started with you just have them in a different form yeah and because i am a dork and i like to take it into the kind of philosophical headspace yeah the thing that i have always been really blown away by is that in some of the eastern cultures which i I really feel that those people were so in tune with their minds and bodies, whether it's through yoga or through soma, which very well have might have been a psychedelic substance. Mm-hmm. Like they got in far enough to find some of these truths way before math and scientific observation ever did. And so their story, you know, their mythology of what the universe is uh, in Hinduism, which then kind of morphed into Buddhism is that there was this one thing, this one self. And and when you really get to that concept of like, what what is this that is here? Like, if you think about that far enough, you get into this absolute void where you have to imagine the contrary, that there is nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, for you and me to be sitting here, for this to be the world and everything that we've been describing and universes and background radiation, like, all right, all of that stuff, but, like, it has to stand against this backdrop of, like, nothing, right? Mm-hmm. For it to be anything at all, there has to be this potential that allowed it to be what it is. So the, the Hindu concept is that there is just the self. And it, it you know, they, even to put a word on it is to completely mistake what that actually is. But it is that one thing that is all things. Mm-hmm. And so in this kind of human mythological story, the, the first event was that realization that I am here. Like that, that whatever it was became aware of itself. And that was this just complete 
moment of beginning. Mm-hmm. Which even that like completely fucks with your head because you know a lot of these theories and models show that there might be multiverses. Like this mm-hmm. might this might be something that happens not just once but billions and billions and you know infinite times. But there is that like self knowledge or even just like to exist at all is in a weird way like self-knowledge and so that thing whatever it was and this is again their personification like putting human feelings and thoughts onto Mm -hmm. this concept but as soon as that great emptiness was aware of itself it felt fear that it might not be you know because as soon as you have an awareness of self you have that ability to be completely lost Mm -hmm. and it had desire it had desire to not be the only thing in the universe so mm-hmm. it split. It split itself in two. And now we have this first, you know, whether it's the uh, Euler's equation that, you know, gives you the plus and the minus. Like, now we have something that we can play with. Mm-hmm. We have a dark and a light. We have... I love how your gloves are representing that right now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that so was an unintentional. Like... <laughs> and so, yeah, their story is like the self split in two and then through eons and eons and eons has been splitting and splitting and splitting and and i always think of terence mckenna and his concept of novelty which i think is a really cool one that if you're that self and you're you go from a whole to two and then four and like that exponential thing that was really what we we were just talking about Mm -hmm. like that is how you get to new and bigger and more interesting arrangements which is all that there is to do if you're a thing that does anything at all. Yeah. And so, I don't know, I think that is a cool way to look at the world, and I appreciate that there are humans who have lived on this planet through their own, just sitting with their sheep out in a pasture, like came to this like inner identity mm-hmm. of being that self and yeah. being one little curly cue on the end of this whole wholeness. And yeah. when, when and if... A human mind can grasp that identity, that understanding that it is not this separate thing, this separate set of equations, this separate whatever, like, we are that thing happening here and now. Yeah. That's, to me, like this great cosmic thumb to suck. Yeah. It doesn't matter if the machines replace the humans. It doesn't matter if we burn the planet down. It doesn't matter. Right. Because it all matters. Because it's all that thing happening. And if you can't have faith in that, you can't have faith in anything at all. Totally. And yeah, I don't know. That's where my mind went when you were talking about this. Because all of these equations, and I mean, phi is the same, where you're, you're really just using the whole, and then you're doing these operators on that whole, and you get this like expression that goes out and has the ability to infinitely expand. But you're always, you know, pushing around this one box, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool when taken um, in parallel with your number line realization that any one of those numbers is also the whole. Yes. You know, six is only called six because we're in relation, but in its sixness, it has a wholeness. Yes. And so, yeah. Yeah. And that, like, to play devil's advocate on this self idea um because you said something there that which was like devil in the game of creation like i definitely i conceptually i'm i'm totally on board 
conceptually. I have and, not yet. And to be clear, I'm not putting that forward as a fact. I just think it's interesting that outside of that construct of mathematics, yes. humans are able to tell stories about yes. identities that basically do the same thing. Right. And there is something that is imprinted in our beingness, I think, that is so obvious. Like the first story I remember relating to or feeling like really fucking deeply moved by was The Wizard of Oz. Hmm. And sure, you know, I was four, three or four, maybe. I can't remember how old I was. But I remember it came on TV and it was so fucking magical to me. Now, granted, there's a lot visually to a human, young human, that is really tasty about that film. Like, there's all of these complex textures and characters and songs. But if you take all of that away and you look at, like, what that story is about, it's the hero's journey for sure, but it is also that, like, you're going to go through some shit only to come right back to yourself. Yeah. And your so your transformation, your journey or whatever, it all, it, it was, you were there the whole time, you know? Like, and I found that to be, like, I think on some level, that was really what, like, kind of, like, truly struck me. Hmm. Even though I couldn't, like, you know, intellectualize it at the time or whatever. There was just a wholeness to that story that I think represents that, like, base, intrinsic thing. And if we do have any sort of memory in ourselves and, or in our being, and we really think about it, it's like, yeah, we started out as a single cell that split and split and <laughs> Yeah. grew into this thing yeah. so somehow that's like hardwired into us to come to that to see that to reach that revelation but to say like like if you can come to that knowing and then you say it doesn't matter if the world burns down was some language that you used I think is true but my devil's advocate part of it is like um, but is that lazy? Is it, is it the best we can do as, or is it just what we do? I mean, I can accept both, but there's a part of me that like thinks about like how <clears throat> the Tibetan monks are being just completely ran over by the Chinese government because they accept it and they're like oh well such is life and i think like okay but like isn't that a little bit shitty to do to these people like isn't it a little bit shitty to like lead cows around and then slaughter them and eat them is this shitty are we being shitty or is it is all of this okay and i can then get to the point where i'm like yeah you could just become super fucking dark and just decide that like um, become the world's best narcissist and be just be like no nah, this fucking matters you dumb shits I can be as mean as I want to be because that's just the way shit is and I struggle with that portion of it because clearly 
like there is a mechanism for me to understand preferences and to be like yeah I way prefer like sitting on top of this mountain having this awesome conversation than I do I don't know like freezing in a batch of cold blood <laughs> and like being forced to eat worms I think I mean maybe I could get to the state where I'm like no difference same diff eating worms and being in cold blood is the same mm. as sitting on top of a mountain top enjoying the sunshine well if you noticed I said that it arrives at this cosmic thumb to suck yes because it is that yes because I think that realization and even the privilege of being able to understand the mathematics or having heard a really cool story that changes your mindset yeah is a small thread in this larger thing that is unfolding with these people that fight for causes and are narcissists and all of that together I think that is what makes the happening worth happening mm -hmm. is that it is in a sense a, a drama and that the the self of all selves of which we are like not just a part we are it too it and we thrive on the duality of yeah. not just being in that middle spot where everything doesn't matter right but of go extending one way and then that you know toppling and then extending the other way and mm -hmm. it's like a sine wave yes because to your point i think that the the extreme expressance of that realization arrives in people and this is not a bad thing but it it, it it is like Tibetan monks or like the Jainists that literally tried to live their lives having no impact on the world at all. And they would, you know, minimize their amount of steps so that they weren't stepping on bugs or microbes. And they yeah. would, you know, make sure that they were drinking only the smallest amount of water because, like, every little imprint was too much for them mm -hmm. because they had that kind of core. But I... But, but those those personalities, I think, inevitably, and all personalities inevitably disappear like how cool is it that there was a shred of time that those types of people existed and had that as a human experience mm -hmm. I bet their identity with that truth was like so intense way more than we will ever have with all of this additional baggage and this mountain of concepts that we have to climb to even get like a glimpse of it yeah. like they were experiencing it and the Tibetan monks I mean those guys they wake up at the butt crack of dawn every morning to pray and chant for the purification of the whole world so that the rest of the world doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. And the Chinese coming in, if they were to fight the Chinese, they would no longer be who, who they were. Mm -hmm. And so once again, it's like these little ice crystals that are just existing in the shade. Like, if you get close and look at that, there is no words that can describe the true beauty of that existing at all. But that motherfucker's going to melt. Yeah. And so I, I think that in an individual life and that's what's so hard honestly about being a humanist and being a hero and being um self interested is that it then becomes this maddening maze of choice and we can see from the example of those people that that do dig that deep mystery down to the core and just sit still yeah. that that's there but because we are out on these branches, this interplay of the dark and the light, there really isn't a choice to be 
become that narcissist or to fight the cause or not. I, I think we we roll out of a center of which we're not even. <laughs> uh, you know, we're we're not even sure where that center is, and it's a product of every experience we've ever had. And I don't know. My my challenge with this whole thing is that I'm sure like you the decision making process of what to do and what that future looks like and what future I want to get to can become so overwhelming that the only thing that I can do is to take moments to get out in places like this or fill my head full of psilocybin or something to get to that punctuation mark where I do see like oh okay it is all okay like I don't have to be that stressed out about the state of the world because the world is fine. Mm -hmm. Always has been, always will be. But then after that punctuation mark, it is inevitable that you get sucked back in. And then it's not so much about making choices as it is just like fully being whatever it is that you are and trusting that too. Yeah. And that's not to say that that, that process will end you up in a great spot. And as you were even talking, I was thinking about how it community funded. Like I started as a deadbeat garden philosopher like steeped in these mythologies and then i started a business and i whether intentionally or not held at the core of my being this concept or these concepts of going with the flow and trusting and you know being good to people and you know all of the things that to me are what prevent that ensnarement in the game that makes you go crazy but at the end of the day, you know, I trusted a lot of the wrong people. I sat back when I could have fought and had a different outcome. And now I'm on the tail end of it where I literally have nothing other than the experience to show for that endeavor. And if I had, you know, been more pissed off or I had been more of an ego or I had been more whatever, mm -hmm. like it would have been a different outcome. But yeah, so I'm just admitting that in this moment up here and talking about these things, like I can, I can kind of get myself back mentally, maybe not so much experientially, like those really have to come from, from experience, but at least mentally back to that thumb to suck on. Yeah. But then in the living of a life, I think either knowing that that's even possible, which is cool, like in Buddhism, like the main school of Buddhism, the, um, the Mahayana, the big vehicle that most Buddhists are a part of, um, they they largely believe that by saying like one formula, this one phrase, like they are saved, they are fine. They will be reborn on a lotus and this magical thing. Like that's all you have to do. And that is such a beautiful idea that there is this like, you could be a scholar, you could be a, you know, a mystic and go so deep into it, or you can just trust that those people have been there and they know that if you just say this one thing or not, like you're going to be fine. Yeah. Because humans have had that experience it's been had and so it doesn't require everyone else to have it too and I, I i think about this a lot that the buddha when he sat down and this is all mythologized like this is a story so whether you know there's a concrete reality of this person doing it doesn't really matter to me but in the mythology he sat down under the bodhi tree and he said that he was not going to get up until all sentient beings were enlightened and, and liberated. Yeah. And he stood up. And he got real fat. Got real fat. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, like, one human can sit down and liberate all sentient beings. 
Because yeah. if one experience, if one conscious awareness gets to that point, when you get to that point, it it is total. It is whole. It's like when that number line folds back on itself and it, it, is, mm -hmm. it is a zero and you see that all these other people, all of this other stuff, it all flows up into this one center point that you hold too. Mm -hmm. And so it is very much a thumb to suck, but it's a very powerful antidote to the conceptual terrors that we inflict upon ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I find it funny, like, I just like how things happen sometimes, that I am missing a glove. Yours are dis... <laughs> well, when you were talking, I was also like, when you did the, like, yeah. interlocking, it was very... Yeah. And then, while you were talking about the Janus and everything, they're like, don't make any marks on the world. I'm like, totally. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I'll just put this here, and it'll be something else. Mm-hmm. It was stardust before, and it will be again. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. It is so great to be back making these podcasts for you. Stick around because I have a lot more coming out. I have additional interviews lined up, and I have years of recorded but never before posted content. So that's all going to be coming at you in a weekly frequency is what I'm shooting for. So again, if you enjoy the pod, uh, please find us on the Apple Music Store, leave a five-star review if you like it, and tell your friends about Uncomplication. So thank you very much for listening today, and until next time, cheers. Cheers.